You have arrived at the Rourke Mix, a place where we talk music with a new guest every week. We get to explore what role music's played in each guest's life. Bands, concerts, road trips, loud breakups. We're going to cover a lot of things. Each week we get to meet someone new and take a music and life journey, and you get to jump on board. After the dust has settled, Chris and Brad return with a playlist based on what we've learned from the individuals and the stories we've shared. So here we go. Let's talk music. We kind of, you've probably noticed from the previous interviews, we, we go a little bit chronological in terms of, um, you know, when you were, you know, for me, I, I kind of think of like with this, this little thing we got going on of like, when was your first recollection of being aware of music into music? Or was there some event where like, you know, there was some party at the house or, or something happened where you're like, you kind of stood up and noticed. It's like, oh, well, I, there, people are really into this and, and I should get into this. Or, or was it just a general thing that happened as you were growing up, the, there was music in your house? I wouldn't say there was a lot of music in the house. Uh, Mike, I don't know if, if you've seen other interviews, but both Tim and Jock suggested there was a bunch of music in their houses. I don't, I don't remember there being a ton of music aside from what we picked up from our siblings. I remember mom and dad having crazy 60s, swinging 60s uh, records lying around. I don't know if they were Bacharach or Henry Mancini or what they were, but I remember seeing those and and then as time got, went on, our older sister, who had six years on, on us, which Mike knows, but you guys don't know, she had six years on us, so she was more advanced in her, her musical uh, upbringing than we were. So and that's the most I remember of, of uh, when you, you, know what I would, you know what I'd say, Brad, because it's interesting the way you asked the question in your house. And I do remember there being music in the house, more so to, to J- JT's point about uh, from our sister uh, and brother to some extent, but more from our sister. But the music was not in the house, from my memory. It was actually from our cottage. Yeah. So we oh. would spend hours at the cottage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the configuration of the cottage was such that the kids had the, the, the small <clears throat> cottage and the parents had another one. So when Ginny got the new stereo, uh, the new turntable, Which... <laughs> was, uh, it was gold because she had all the discs and we had the stereo in the cottage. So we would listen to her albums for hours, mm-hmm. every day, every night. So Springsteen, uh, Alan, Alan Parsons, uh, Al Stewart, Billy Joel, Chicago, all that 70s era. Uh, I'm going to interrupt. We were embedded. We were fully embedded in that from the cottage. I think less so from the house. So I agree with JT. We didn't, we didn't get it from our parents. It was from our sister. And it was, yeah. I think, mostly from the cottage. Mike, you forgot a couple of the silver-backed uh, alpha male gorillas. Uh, there was this. <laughs> and there was this. Right. Meatloaf is a good one. Yeah. Super Tramp. Tons of Super Tramp. Elton John, Boston, Styx. And then then Brad Brad as well uh, with the music piece, JT and I both played drums as kids in in public school. So uh, about grade five, grade six. uh, Like sit down drums or like, like, yeah, okay. And uh, I'm sure our parents paid the price, uh, you know, from the neighborhood watch. I'm sure they got called all the time, but the the uh, the drums were great for us. Uh, originally, we did classic drums uh, in the sense that we went to a record store and they had the teaching in the back and they would teach us how to do it formally. And then half, I don't know, half a year later, uh, the teacher changed and 
the guy we were, we were being taught by said, hey, I'm going freelance. Do you want to come, us to come, you want me to come to your house? And this guy had the big fro. He looked like um, Mark Fidridge from the Do Detroit Tigers, the big fro. <laughs> and he was a little bit loopy. He was teaching us drums, but he wasn't teaching us from a, a drum book. He was teaching us by having us play things like Yes and Peter Frampton and Peter Gabriel and all, all these the mainstream yeah. and, and uh, alt bands that were Neil Young, like things that there's no way a nine or 10 year old would ever play. So that was partially, I think, where we got an interest in music, or I did anyway, yeah. uh, through bands that I had no business listening to. Yeah, Mike, really Mike I was talking to Jen last week, and she said that when she hears Salisbury Hill, she thinks of us playing the drums to Salisbury Hill, which for 10 yeah. year olds back then would have been uncool and unsexy. I got to uh, tell you, this is fascinating. I've been interviewing you two for 30 years. You and I never heard that you played the drums. Ever. <laughs> same, same. I had no idea. I've been in your parents' rec room, your, your, the house you grew up in, in the rec room. Yeah. I, I didn't see a kit down there. <laughs> yeah, there, there wasn't. We, we got rid of it when well, we were in our me, teens. Tell me about the demise of the interest in drums. Now, of course, the drummer's always the first person to get kicked out of the band. Is mm -hmm. it that or die? Or die? Yeah. Or die. Bizarre gardening accident. Kick, we're, we're, we're hoping that being kicked out is, is, is the first thing. But when did it when did yeah. it come to a screeching halt what what happened high well, for mike it was probably junior high for me yeah. i did a bit in high school actually uh with the band which was not not the band with robbie robertson it, this is the school band um we uh, I, I i played with them but i think the kit was gone at that point yeah it um unlike the pool table it couldn't be used as an ironing board so <laughs> we ended up getting getting rid of the kit it was hauled out of there uh, and I think it was probably because there was just too much Salisbury Hill going on in the house. <laughs> when you moved on your own, yeah, uh, what was it? When you when you either purchased it, discovered it, found it, stole it, however you acquired your first bit of music, um, where did it come from? And did you share the same taste? Was it yeah. similar similar uh, genres? For sure. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, the for me, the first album that I remember buying, other than like the, you know, Twenty original hits, twenty original stars, or whatever were hot shots. But the uh, the first one I remember buying was an Elton John album, and then Bay City Terrible. Rollers. Who didn't have a Bay City Rollers album in grade three? It just you just I did know. it. And then uh, and then these guys in grade four were, were it. Sure. Um, so that was different than not the Elton John, but the other was different than our sister. So at that point, there was a little bit there, but you know we wouldn't listen to that with our brother or sister. Uh, we wouldn't listen to our stuff. It would be their stuff always. Mm -hmm. So, and then between the two of us, I think musically we were probably pretty in line. I would say until about the middle of high school, probably. Mm -hmm. And for me, the turning point for when we probably went in slightly different directions, but I think still a lot of the same stuff was when JT got his J JV fifty five PC ghetto uh, blaster with the tape, the the liquid cooled screen and the tape, the big tape thing, and the, and then he could do tape to tape. So all of a sudden he had the headphones and he had the JV uh 55 50 or whatever it was and he was on his own so all of a sudden he was going down his path of music and with the headphones i'm not part of that anymore so i started i think started looking at something else that's how i view it anyway jt yeah. i don't know if you saw the same yeah that, that, that's a neat observation i i definitely remember the pc 55 but i i didn't realize that you were being blocked out i i i, I didn't that wasn't intentional and just so you know guys we shared a bedroom <laughs> for years so that's why that's why we our, our, that's partly why our musical tastes were 
subjected to one another. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I was getting into more Pink Floyd and Zeppelin and things like that. Mike was looking at NXS and um, U2. Uh, U2. Uh, but prior to that, he and I uh, rode shotgun on, on The Who. And you remember the, the final, final tour of 82? That was, I think, the third last tour. <laughs> uh, it came through Toronto and, and never that played again much of that. Sorry? They never, <laughs> never played again. Never, never, never. We're done. It's the last concert. They loved it so much, they came back and did it again. Any event, that one kick-started a bunch of interest in The Who. Uh, so classic, until mid, until mid high school, cl classic rock, as it's now known, would have driven a bunch of our tastes. One, one observation, just to go back to what we were talking about with my sister's record collection. Uh, one, of the, one of the records that we haven't mentioned is uh, Jackson Brown's Running on Empty. That one was in the collection and, and got a lot of airplay. And about five years ago, I was driving with Shawn Michael. He's now 22. We were driving down the street and uh, the loadout came on and he said, this is a great album. And I said, Shawn Michael, I think this is my favorite album. And it was one of those epiphanies where I was like, hey, this, he's a real thing. He's, he's grown up. This is awesome. Yeah. But, Which uh, it's a pretty cool feeling to know that, oh, yeah. you know, your, your child um, likes stuff that you like too. Like you share that yeah. and, uh, and, uh, before we go there, because <laughs> well, before we go there, because I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, but um, who, like, where was this influence? Where Mike, you were more in NXS, and then JT, like you, you kind of <laughs> went down that Pink Floyd a little bit. Like you mentioned those two. Um, what was the trigger for that? Were you hanging out with different people in high school? Like, where did that division kind of originate from? A, a bit. I'd say, uh, Mike, I'd say I probably hung out more with the stoner crowd than you did uh, mid, mid high school. Yeah. And, and you were, we both flitted around a fair bit, yeah. but I, I would say Mike associated more with other groups that were probably into, into more current stuff. Hey Brad, you know, as an observation, just to that point, uh, and people talk about high school cliques and groups, you know, the, the, the football yeah. team or the athletes or, yeah. the yeah. or, the, or the punk rockers or whatever. And one thing that I, in, in thinking about this discussion, one thing that came to mind in, in our school, I think there was a divide between those that listened to the hard rock. So the Q107 crew versus the CFNY crew that were the alternative. And I think yeah. that was the divide. And in some cases it was also based on preppy versus stoner or whatever. But, but I think it was the actual radio stations that differentiated a lot of what you listen to. And so mm -hmm. I started to migrate a little bit, not fully, but migrate a little bit more from Q107 into CFNY, where I think JT stayed rooted in Q107. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> that's yeah, a great that's observation. On radio, that's, <laughs> that's, that's unfortunate well, you don't on Toronto radio. Well, that, that's, that is a great observation because people are not married to the radio anymore. They listen right. to Spotify or they listen to satellite radio. So they've already decided on their genre. And, yeah. you know, they aren't going to hear new stuff if they listen to rock yeah, radio and serious then they're they're in you know so yeah there isn't uh uh the cfny influence anymore so and, and chris you you were well you you have uh, a friend who was a dj at cfny did you not uh no my uh childhood friend is uh john derringer from the mighty <laughs> you oh, okay <laughs> and uh and uh well, my 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 closer friend, I I I, uh, I do know Kim Hughes, who was uh, who was a longtime uh, Q one hundred seven present, or sorry, uh, CFNY presenter as well. 
So uh, my two uh, radio icons there that uh, had played different points in my life, but uh, definitely a neighborhood. And of course, uh, John Derringer, um, John Hayes, uh, uh, grew up down the street from uh, Mike and John, but older as I am than those two. But uh, I, grew, I grew up a few doors down from the high school that Mike and John went to and um, uh, Lawrence Park Collegiate Institute. It was an institute. For disciplinary reasons, I wasn't allowed to go to the local school. I was shuttled downtown to uh, to uh, a different school for trouble. Chris, Chris, don't don't be too forlorn about that. LPCI was built on a garbage dump, according to my mother. Literally, <laughs> it was a garbage dump in the twenties. Well, for for all of its gar for all of its garbage dump topography, um, I, I I do have a question for you too, because um, the music scene at LPCI had to have been um uh the landscape had to have been uh, had to have been a happening scene because bands like the bourbon tabernacle choir would have come out of your generation your classmates would have been yeah certainly yeah. would have been in that band uh one or two years older than you i don't uh, know same year Tyler most miller and most of them and and uh, those so there had to have been an active music scene that uh, that revolved around the school, but interesting that of course, like most high schools uh, in the, in that era, there would have been groups that would have gravitated to one form of music or another. But it's just uh, I'd like to know a little bit more about uh, about the scene at that school. Uh, you know, were there was there were there kids playing guitar in the hallways? Was there a band? Was there a cool band? There there was an inspiration, a genesis of the Bourbons as well as others. Uh, in, when we were in grade 13, and yes, there was a grade 13. Uh, it wasn't uh, uh, disciplinary. But uh, in grade 13, there was a great live performance performed by four clever, creative individuals. It was a kiss lip sync with full makeup and gear um, performed by two of the people on this call and two others. Uh, and that kickstarted a lot of people's musical uh epiphany so, so is what paul stanley is joking uh, coming coming from an ace fraley perspective <laughs> right now mm -hmm. um i think there were a lot of bands that were playing in high school uh and the bourbons were sort of at the tail end of that uh mm -hmm. many of them were from our grade and and uh whitey and, and chris and, mm -hmm. and jason were all people that we knew very well we skied yeah. with some of them and, and we also um knew them in high school. Socialized. It's interesting yeah. how they came together because originally I think they, uh, they, they all had great senses of humor. And I think in, in many cases they enjoyed playing music together and, you know, out of the joy of just being together and having a good time. Mm -hmm. And the Bourbons, uh, for those that have ever seen the band, originally there must have been about 15 people on stage. It was like, all it sorts was like of Sly and the Family Stone. It was. And I mean, they were, it felt like they were jugglers and flamethrowers and the whole thing. <laughs> But then it skinnied down to a band of, I think, Five. about eight, seven or eight, a uh, couple of guitars, keyboards, probably, yeah, probably eight guys. And uh, Kate, was younger. Kate was a couple of years younger. And then the lead singer was from another school. But the rest of them were all from Lawrence Park. And many of those guys had <clears> played <throat> guitar together or started playing uh, instruments together. Uh, Chris Brown was a year younger and probably more accomplished musically. But they, they came together and formed this you know melting pot of music that after high school really took off and became a good bar band when we were yeah. at university and it was kind of cool to see that happen because they had some some good success right as a yeah. as a university mm -hmm. and a toronto pub band 
happy to happy to tell you that my defense partner in uh, young kids hockey, Chris Plock, played uh, sax in the band. Ah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. It, it really what Mike describes is so so accurate. When you looked at the stage, you're, you were thinking, "Who the hell's playing an instrument? And who's just dancing? Uh, who should I be looking at?" It was yeah. it was funny, and they were just having a great time up there. It was pretty funny. One thing that you probably saw, Brad, growing sorry, Chris, growing up in Toronto which came out in sort of grade 11, grade 12, grade 13 for us, Battle of the Bands, right? High school Battle of the Bands where the different bands would go to the Masonic Temple or some other small venue and duel it out for the championship. And it was, uh, they'd play a couple of songs and you go and see your favorite people and cheer as loud as you could because you wanted them to win. Uh, but just the, the atmosphere of all these different schools coming together and watching these different bands play, it was, it was, kind of, it was a lot of fun. You're absolutely right. The, uh, the, the genesis of, that, uh, of the Battle of the Bands really was 1981, the first one I remember. And uh, I am a little bit grayer than all of you guys. So uh, I've got a few years on you, but that's when it really kicked off. You're exactly right. It was at the Masonic Temple. And, uh, and uh, bands from two specific schools always uh, turned it on. Um, Lawrence Park, of course, always had a good showing. And Northern. And uh, North Toronto uh, had, had a band. Uh, friends of mine were in a band called Go Feet, which was a ska band, and they were really good. And uh, and those nights at the uh, the nights at the Masonic Temple were for high school kids. You know, they were they were hot and they were sweaty. It was packed, and it was a scene. It was and it was uh, uh, as as the as the as the punk movement rolled through in the mid to late seventies, and then you know the eighties saw saw uh, the new romantic uh, and, and new wave bands, uh, Martha and the Muffins and uh, of course Canada the Canadian Spoons of course and uh, Paul Humphrey sadly uh, passed away the other day the front man for uh, Blue Peter which was an absolutely terrific terrific Toronto based band um, the, these are all these are all people who, who were who were part of the music scene but certainly were influenced and pushed by the type of competition that was available then I don't know of it happening now I don't think it's possible now I think that the mummies who dropped precious off at school in the minivan would lose their shit if their if their kid was at the masonic temple with 400 other kids having a good time i don't think it happens anymore and that's the type of envir environment that's poisoned live music and, Chris, uh, and Chris, to make to make music jim cuddy went to north toronto i believe yeah. I, I can't say i ever remember his name when i was in high school was he your vintage he he's he's uh one year uh <clears throat> my my senior but uh, but uh, I I would say that uh, that uh, his interest in the you know the Canadian uh, or sorry the Toronto music scene uh, I don't think he was a minstrel of any of, of any renown in high school but uh, he was a super uh, bright guy and uh, he was a prop master for a movie house he did all kinds of things and really um, his credo was always musically was to make sure you have a day job to pay for your night job huh. and uh, as a, as a neighbor I see him around all the time not recently of course. Course. but well, uh, can you uh, let him know that he's still on tara's nightstand there's a picture <laughs> of tara and jim cuddy on her nightstand and most and most women have a have a have a have a draw and fascination to him because he's he's i don't know he's, my age is 57 58 and he looks like he's 25 it's very annoying yeah. sings like he's a 21 year old yeah he's definitely aged well hey we were talking about uh we were talking a lot about live music what was your first concert, your first memorable concert, or just first concert in general? Did you guys go together? I No, I, I went with Ted Wilby to David Gilmore. Yeah. Oh, right on. And opening for David Gilmore was who? Anyone? 
Anyone? Icicle Works. There you go. <laughs> what was the venue? Whisper to a Screen. Massey, Whisper to a Screen, Massey Hall. Nice. Right on. Which I had, I had heard about it, and I, when, I, when I went into it, I was thinking, this just looks like a theater. But then when the band started playing, I was thinking, this is a great place to see a show. And it was. Yeah. Mike, uh, it, U285 Mike. Unforgettable Fire Tour at the Gardens. It was, uh, it was great. It's fantastic. I I gone to that. Anyway, you know, it's funny. You go to a concert, and you expect that they won't sound like like they do on the record. And it was remarkable how U2 was able to pull it off. Uh, and that's far before recordings and, and uh, you know, backing tracks. It was, uh, it was great, great concert. Who did you yeah. Those are both, I mean, terrific first acts to see. I mean, no yeah. one's gonna be ashamed to, to, uh, to list those, but th there had to be some music that both of you once loved that absolutely makes you cringe now. And I you know from each of you. <laughs> that's why I'm wearing the shirt, my friend. <laughs> I think Kiss needs to needs to exist in a in a completely different category. Yeah, I think a hundred thousand years, hundred thousand years. You, doesn't you, have to, you have to have some music somewhere that, uh, although uh, you did kick around. I heard the Bay City Rollers, but that's uh, I, yeah, I, that's I, a, better than that. I think you have to have something something in your uh, something in the holster that uh, that you that you're absolutely uh, ashamed of. I guys mean, the um know what that is Mike's the, the phrase i use with my kids when i don't want to hear something on the radio is i don't need to listen to that again and that's steve miller band i don't need to hear steve miller band again <laughs> we no. did love him at one point i did i didn't love him but i listened to him a lot yeah. Uh, yeah. had the old walkman going mike live without him is yeah yeah but, i mean bay city rollers would fall right into that um you know, it's funny, what I listen to now, and, and this probably come up later, but what I listen to now is largely from the 80s um, and 90s, and uh, I could listen to that stuff forever, and, and that is stuff that I've been listening to for a long time, so uh, I struggle with who I'd, who I'd throw away that I loved at one point. Um, I, I'm, you know, thinking through the question, other than Bay City Rollers, I, I can't really think of anybody who's fallen yeah, that's, off there. That's funny, Mike, if we're at, if we're at a, a, a party situation and saturday night does come on s-a-t-u-r-d-a-y night like the barn burner you right? are you are gonna have fun it's not like you're gonna sit down and listen to the album but it's still gonna it, it's actually gonna trigger a happy happy time i would think yeah yeah i uh, happy maybe because i married somebody who's scottish and she gets more excited about it than i do um so <laughs> mike, mike had a brush with the bay city rollers an indirect brush with the bay city rollers at his wedding yeah julie's julie's uh, got a uh, a cousin five times removed, whose last name is Longmere, and two of the Bay City Rollers are are Longmere. They're Alan, Eric and, and Eric. And so I asked Julie's cousin. Well, I said to Julie, "Are you related to the Bay City Rollers?" Because I realized the last name. Ah, and, no. And, uh, she said, "No, no, they're not related. It's just the same name." And so I went up to the guy, and he's at the time he was probably seventy-five, and he goes. Yeah, yeah, we are related to the Bay City Rollers. And he got off the whole bio. And I'm thinking, Julie, you've never talked to this guy about it before. Uh, you know what's funny is that you, you're talking about love of the 80s and the 90s. And I just, um, I read something or I saw it. Uh, someone said, you know, when we currently talk about the 80s and the 90s, just remember when we were like to our kids, uh, to your kids, uh, when we were kids, that's like our parents talking about the 60s or the 50s. You know, it's like, it would just put it in perspective to me. I'm like, oh, geez, we're old. <laughs> like, it's official. Yeah, there's also, I, I, I can't say I understand the science of it, but from what I understand, 
that there's a physiological reason why you're connected to that music of that era in your in most people's life. Most people have a connection to that, whether and, and other aspects of pop culture as well, TV, books, um, are the ones you read or listened to or watched um, in your teens are ones that we're predisposed to actually being attracted to and having, and, and I think a lot of it is a social thing where you connect it with good times. But from what I understand, it's beyond that and there's some sort of wiring that is turned on by what you're doing at that age. I think it makes sense too, because the fact you don't have, you don't have a job, you don't have a ton of responsibilities. You can actually pay attention to it a little bit more. Like you can mm -hmm. get lost into it because you don't have to go to your job. You know, like you, yeah. Yeah, I think there's, there, your mind is, is, uh, is actually growing still. And you're like, well, I can put this in there and it actually it's growing around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I want to revisit uh, the, the PC-55 for a second, if you don't mind, John. Um, so obviously at a PC-55 who, and, and you, you know as well as I do, that this was a high-end uh, boombox that had detachable speakers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The whole thing was detachable. Yeah. The, the, uh, the, the amplifier was uh, different from the tape deck. So you had a tape deck. I assume you had a turntable. So that means you were making mixtapes. So I have a question for both of you. Uh, when you're making mixtapes, I wanted to know, what uh, what the first song of side A was when you were making a tape, and when you were making a tape, I want to know who you were making that one for. Hmm. I'm making it for Mike Taylor usually. You got a lot of mixtapes. <laughs> and let's be clear, Mike and I were grade A pirates. I well, of course, everybody was a pirate in in the 70s and 80s. But if I still have his handwriting on tapes. You you've unpacked your new Maxell tape and you've got it in there. What's the first song on side A? You know what, uh, Chris, I don't know if this would be the one, but the first one that comes to mind is one that I just heard today that I believe is the first song on Darkness on the Edge of Town, Thunder Road. That's Born uh, to Run. Born to Run, uh, Born to Run, I'm sorry, Born to Run. Uh, kick, no, anyway, either way. So just kicked. And I was oh. thinking to myself, when you asked that question, I was thinking, that's a great first song. Mm -hmm. and, if, and that would be one that I would think of to put at the beginning of my first mixtape, but JT, you mixed a lot more tapes than I did, so I'd love to hear what you have to say. And, and JT, when you when you answer this, were you different genres? Like, were you actually making the sexy tape, or were you just making upbeat, or you just it was a just a shit show? Uh, usually, there was a theme, yeah. uh, a motif, if you would. Um, and uh, are, are you wondering was there a song that started all the mixtape, all all of the mixtapes, or are you saying? A particular genre what would i throw on there yeah i i mean uh either or uh, as, as brad mentioned the uh the the content is going to be related to what the intent is yeah so obviously if if it's going to be for a girl there's going to be some sort of romantic aspect depending on what your what your uh what your motive behind the tape is but uh but uh just off the top of your head even if it was a gift yeah. or and if it was not beat, I, I need to know what you go to because side A first song is going to set the pace for the entire tape. Well, there, there was one that we had that started off with uh, Blinded by the Light, which ties in my, with Springsteen's version. It was the uh, Manfred Mann version. Very good. Okay. Uh, that one started off the assorted cold cuts um, mixtape. And Mike, Mike knows of another one that, that was a, a heavy metal bridge mix uh, tape. And that one started with American Pie. With, but the, has, the title itself was a misnomer, right? It was, yeah, the, the second one was more of a, you know, a lower key thing. The, the other one was more classic rock. Um, 
You know, another one that comes to mind, and this is the same genre as the first song that I threw out there, is Batter to Hell. Oh, uh, that's, I was, I was grabbing my Batter to Hell best opening track of an album. There you go. So, oh. that, I mean, that one for me is another one that just kicks it off pretty nicely. And oh, yeah. the song. It, but I think, I, I think the first song, Chris, to your point, the first song has to set the tone. Critical. And if it's, a, if it's um, an upbeat, an upbeat uh, track or an upbeat mix, then you have to have something. And, and I'm thinking as well, maybe a little Van Halen, maybe some eruption might, uh, mm -hmm. might get her going. Can I change this, uh, the, uh, the tone a bit? Uh, if it, uh, my, my, my thought, I, I agree with you on Bad Out of Hell. Great, great opening track, but a little dated. But if it's, if it's more of an 80s upbeat sound, I'm thinking Age of Consent, New Order. I think that it gets the juices flowing nicely. This coming from the guy who didn't wasn't supposed to like New Order. New Order was in Mike's oeuvre, not yours. Well, that I I had a I had a revelation later in life. Nice. It, looking back to the stuff on the '80s that I didn't I didn't delve into when I was there is kind of fun. There's some stuff in there, psychedelic furs. There's sure. some fun stuff in there. Uh, Stranglers, uh, the Jam. There's all sorts of nuggets that that are are worthy of mining uh did you like that metaphor i did um so <laughs> so i think there's all sorts that that that's out there um but better to hell i, I is and people have all for, have forgotten better to hell but it um it's in your face it's it's the mule kick to the chest that you referred to on an earlier telecast that's gone viral by the way <laughs> hey um moving along in life um did you guys try to influence your children's <clears throat> musical tastes, uh, musical influences? Did you have kind of your program in the house or was it just a matter of survival and you listen to whatever gets you, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever pacifies them? They, my guys would get stroked if they bought into dad's program. Uh, they, they've, they come to know, as I said earlier, that there's stuff that dad doesn't need to hear again. So they know to turn that off if it shows up on the radio. But um, I, I've been fortunate, all three of my kids like old stuff and, and I, I cherish that. Mm -hmm. But, um, and, and when they do stroke dad, you know, kudos to them. It's brilliant, they stay in the will, it's perfect. Um, but, <laughs> but that it, being said, JT, um, do, yeah. do you get anything from them? Like listening to their tunes, you're like, this isn't I, so bad. Well, uh, not often the um i share an apple account with two of my kids and so i'm able to see what they download the the irony to all this is what they're downloading is one of them aretha franklin sam cook uh otis redding it, it's crazy what ben is, is downloading on the on the phone katrina she's she's downloading a bunch of rap that is not my thing um so so i i tend to stay away from it but i do nudge them a fair bit you know play something you think I might like, and often they'll go back to our era, and, yeah. and that's easy for them. They know they know what will turn Dad on, uh, but I do I do nudge them to to teach me because I have no exposure to new music. I don't listen to commercial radio, and I uh, the satellite radio that I have, I tend not to go to stations where I'm going to hear the N word. Uh, mm -hmm. So so it's. Um, it, once again, it becomes incestuous, but, but they're, they've nudged me in certain directions. And I, I mentioned Sam Cooke. Mike's heard the story already. Um, Sam Cooke, I didn't know who Sam Cooke was a year ago. Like, 
I could have, but I didn't. And I was playing darts with Ben. And I said, what do you want to play? He said, how about some Sam Cooke? And this guy was around in the 50s and 60s. Mm -hmm. And and he Ben's 20 years old. So he's nudging me to listen to stuff that I should have known a long time ago. And I love it. Yeah. But that's that's the only time where, where they've really sort of nudged me in a direction that was their, was their direction. And, and yet it's not new stuff. I, I wish I did know more new stuff. Yeah. And before we get to Mike, uh, uh, Chris brought this up uh, when we were talking about the questions. Did the move out west change or alter you, what you liked and what you were into? Or was there, was there a major influence moving out west, first uh, uh, Vancouver and then Calgary, that, yeah, that you, did, you changed courses a little bit? Well, the geography didn't change things, but when you have kids, it does. You don't listen to yeah. as much music. And yeah. as, as Mike was alluding to, you, you kind of cocoon. You don't seek out stuff you're comforted in, stuff you know. So yeah. the only thing that jumped out at me when, when you said that was Baby Beluga by Rafi <laughs> <laughs> is what I remember soon after moving to the West because that's when we started having kids. Yeah, um, but what about uh, the country influence of Calgary? Uh, well, there, there is that, but I can't say I, I bought into it. I, I have to say I did listen to a lot more Blue Rodeo when I came out here, but that had more to do with the kid's mom. And, and yeah. that's what she would listen to. So I, I, I found ways to like that. But mm -hmm. the, the, uh, the municipality hasn't changed my musical taste, I wouldn't say. Yeah. Mike? I, I find it interesting how kids listen to music uh, now in, in the sense of, I mean, I talked about JT wearing headphones. Uh, kids don't listen to music in the rec room with, I don't think, with the stereo pounding. They have headphones on. Uh, or they're in their room with a small speaker on their own. Uh, generally, I, I'm just yeah. I'm talking from my experience, and but I expect it's common. Uh, so I don't have a good sense of who the different bands are, who they're listening to. Our metal guy will flip the station to 99.9, which is a uh, you know top 40 music now. Uh, so I listen to that, and uh, and I actually try to listen to that. I won't turn it away if he's turned it on because I actually want to know what you know, what's, what's out there. Cause I, I just don't know. And I'd love to know more. Um, so there's been a little bit of that from him, but yeah, if you were to say to my, to my daughter, or if, if you were to ask me what my daughter's listening to right now, I don't know. Um, mm -hmm. because I, I just don't hear what she's listening to cause it's in her, it's in her, uh, headset. Yeah. Uh, and then with regards to pushing them towards my music, I'll play the, you know, I'll play the music that I've, I've got or a station that I've got. Um, so they know a lot of what I know and they seem to um, not embrace it, but I think they either put up with it friendly in a nice way or they, or they do like it to a point. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I really enjoyed was when Sam was taking a course in music and the teacher was having them do the history, uh, Black History Month and they, they do a black artist or top, top guitarist of all time. And the top guitarist of all time played when we were kids. So it's kind of cool because he's learning about guys that we would listen to. So that yeah. was for me because he, he had, uh, who did he have? Uh, Jimi Hendrix. And he also did Whitney Houston, right? So it's kind of cool to, to see that through his eyes or have him ask about whoever. Totally. And it also gives me a chance to look up Whitney Houston and Bobby Brown's My Prerogative, which takes me back. To the glory days of Queens. The deep bag grab I'm going for is is something that's going to be a bit of a collective. 
So the four of us spent time together between <coughs> of 88 and 90, say, roughly. And, uh, and uh, I'd like to know from Mike and John's perspective, if there was a band or a song that, uh, that connected you to that time and place. Obviously, we, we were all together in Kingston. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I can roughly guess what, uh, what, the, what, what a band would be that, that was a, a bit of a connecting piece of the puzzle. But, uh, but is, there, uh, is, there, is there music that, um, that, that you connect to the soundtrack of our time there? Right away, Mike. Uh, you actually built it into your question because you used the term time and place. Uh, fourth, fourth year university, go over to our buddy Doug Perry's place and uh, say, hey, what are you up to? And, the, and all the guys are just hanging out. And Doug said, well, I'm actually heading off to see a concert at Nabandergan, the non, non-alcoholic pub there. It's Andrew Cash. And he's going to be playing. And I said, who's Andrew Cash? I don't know who this is. And he goes, ah, come on, you'll, you'll enjoy it. Nice and it's one of those nights when you don't plan anything and everything happens in the sense of, wow, this guy's great. And uh, the backup singer, of course, was Andy Mays, who ended up with Skydiggers. Sky Diggers. And, and, and then Skydiggers started to take off. And it was, it was one of those evenings <clears throat> where you think, wow, you know, I could, have, I could have just hung out and had a beer with, those, with the rest of the guys, or I could have gone to the concert with Doug. And I was sliding doors and went to the concert. And looking back, uh, I became a big uh, Andrew Cash fan and, and Skydiggers after that. Not manic, but I'm not, not crazy about it. But it's just, it was a time and place, place that was just um, perfect for music. And, and when I was thinking about this discussion and you, the question you just asked, the first thing I thought of was that night with Andrew Cash. So thank you for letting me yeah. remember that with you. I completely agree. Uh, and the word you're looking for is serendipitous, Mike. Uh, it was serendipitous. And, and you, you turned me on to Andrew Cash, who I subsequently saw at Kokomo, I think, um, when I when I went his favorite place gonna say you've seen climbing <laughs> and he did a great cover of uh gordon lightfoot's sundown he, he rocked it out anyway i um, uh, so the I other have... one i'd think about uh, in those terms would be beautiful south and house martins okay. um, oh really love beautiful south it's oh, great amazing right on yeah because yeah, i i've i've you know i had my moment with beautiful south so that's cool because I don't know too many people. Like I know people are in the House Martins, but Beautiful South is lost in a lot of people. I'm yeah. pulling the age card out of this one. So Andrew Cash's uh, uh, first band organization was L'Etranger, which is a huge part of my high school scene. That uh, bar scene, if you could squeeze it in, and concerts too. And uh, another little <clears throat> tip: uh, his brother Pete uh, also was uh, and continues to be, I think, a member of the Sky Diggers in various formations. So it's a very very uh, tight knit group of, um, of musicians that seem to be a big part of uh, both of your experiences. And, uh, and they've reformed as the Cash Brothers, at least on Apple Music. There's, there's not a whole lot of Andrew Cash on Apple, but the stuff that's there is usually the two brothers. Oh, Mike and I were at the Horseshoe for a, a show. It's not a Cash Brothers. Yeah. Bro- okay. Cash Brothers together 10 years ago, maybe more. <laughs> oh, it was, 15, it, it was a fat 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh over 20 i think <laughs> i must say i was i was impressed by peter cash's jacket he had the uh the suede jacket with the tassels hanging down it was very country i remember that that's a sweater as i was sweating in the horseshoe he was wearing a suede jacket it was <laughs> how many t-shirts did you have on mike <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Hey, yeah, um, question. Uh, cover songs, yes or no? Mike Taylor. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And I know um, you've asked this question before, and I, 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 uh, I'm a big fan of covers, but I do think you need to do something to it. I, I think yeah. just just replicating doesn't doesn't do it. Um, and so, yeah, I'm a big fan. Any favorites off the top of your head? Favorites? Uh, one that comes to mind, which some people will say is sacrilege. I love Roxy Music's Jealous Guy, and mm -hmm. I also love. Uh, I think Roxy Music is a band that does covers well. I think yeah. uh, Miles like a hurricane was great. Yeah, like a hurricane. Uh, maybe it's because they're good musicians, or maybe they're just good at imitating other people. But they they uh I, I like what they do with with uh with songs um man for man i think is a much improved song over the spring scene one uh the uh, blinded by the light um i'm not a big fan of the original so uh and then uh hendrix with um watchtower watchtower um, mm -hmm. big one but uh yeah I, i'm a big fan of covers if they're done if they're done yeah. for the right reasons they add something to it jt uh, yeah, I, I like them a lot for the same reason, and it's it's I think it's fun to see guys who women who are fans of the original composer pick it up and go, this is awesome. There's a Cheryl Crow thing that you'll if you Google it that where she does a cover of George Harrison's Beware of Darkness. It's on the the Google, um, and it was just recorded for a pandemic message. Uh, which is fabulous. And it's evident that, well, she says, this is my favorite George Harrison song. And there are a handful of others I wrote out that uh, there, there's a killer uh, case of you, Joni Mitchell version that Prince does. He's been doing, he had been doing it for years, I guess, just to warm up. He plays all the instruments and he sings falsetto and he's brilliant. It's, it's yeah. fun to see this guy who he, he knows talent and when he sees it and kicks it out and Similarly, uh, nothing compares to you. Uh, mm -hmm. The um, Sinead O'Connor one, uh, yeah. I think is brilliant. Katie Lang does a, a full CD of Canadian covers, most of which are brilliant. She's such a good singer that she pulls it off mm -hmm. beautifully. But if you have the composers out there who are great, you know, Jackson Brown, Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, I'm not a big fan of their voices, frankly. And hearing other people perform them I, th I think is well worth it. I think Lovers in a Dangerous Time, uh, what oh, Naked Ladies did, was brilliant. such a better version than the original. The original's great, Bruce Coburn, yeah. but um, just great, great cover. And, and I think it launched their career because of what they oh, did. Oh, it most certainly with, did. With yeah. video and music too. And we yeah. didn't talk about video. Oh yeah, it's, it's sweet. I love chat about video, because I think in our era anyway, <laughs> I think in many cases, video enhanced the music experience and brought to life some songs that people wouldn't have known what they were had there not been a visual cue for some of the things like Bob Cajun and and Johnny Cash is hurt. Oh, yeah. uh, fabulous song on its own, but with that video, for me, yeah. it's the best video of all time. And I love the song even more because of the video, even though the song's great. So, I, I mean, I think in Sinead O'Connor as well, uh, yeah. great, great video for a song that is a good song, but when you see the video, you go, wow, that's well, pretty no, cool. I wonder the flip side of that though is, uh, you know, I wonder how many times you saw a video and you go, oh, I don't like the song anymore because I actually don't like the video, <laughs> you know, or I, or I got a vibe off these people. I'm like, oh, it's just not my, my thing now, you know? Yeah, so I, I think that's kind of rare because they're crafted pretty, pretty wisely. But that being said, um, I'm sure there was a few, but I, I do remember uh, in high school and in university, we had much music on. It was just on, like that was our radio most of the time. The TV was on to much music. and. Uh, and yeah, it definitely was a, 
it was definitely a, a we got introduced to stuff actually you know it, it was it was new stuff it wasn't just pop you know so uh but i, I remember like you know um in excess came on and we play the uh, the air drums uh, to that one video you, you know but like i mean it definitely added to the song experience you know yeah and and that never tear us apart mike i think is up there with greatest video of all time that one brings color to a, an already good song but you know where's where the band in in uh, prod but um on, on the cover side of things what i alluded to earlier about the artists getting a kick out of the tunes uh it, it also is a way to showcase them with tunes you might already know or not know george, george michael does papa was a rolling stone and he crushes it mm -hmm. uh he's so good he's so good vocally that he he makes it sexy and fun it's not just um a bunch of barbershop quartet vocalists uh, yeah there's no mama <laughs> but it's it's outstanding and he does that elton john cover of idol which is from the late 70s uh as well and you can you can hear the admiration in his voice and it's fun yeah so i do like covers too in case you didn't hey, figure that out Chris, I was going to go to some quicker questions, unless you have something like deeper you wanted to you wanted to cover that I missed. Oh, well, I, I have one. I had one. I had just had, I had one more before before we move to the lightning round, and and you will be scored. <laughs> um, you know, times like these have, have afforded me a combination of a little more time on my hands and a lot more insomnia, has given me an opportunity to do a little more deep listening, headphones on type of stuff. And uh, while that may not be the case of, uh, at least for Mike with uh, slightly younger kids uh, running around the house, but if you have the opportunity, uh, I want to know what you're what you're listening to when you take the time to uh, to concentrate on the music, uh, go dark, and just hone in on one record. I'd like to know what uh, that is from each of you. Go ahead, Mark. Mike, I'm I'm trying to unpack all of that. Are you asking me what my favorite record is? No, I want, I want to know because it might not be your favorite one that you listen to when you. Oh, with, with headphones? Is that what you're saying? Favorite? Absolutely. The going dark with headphones. Oh, okay. Uh, I, um, you actually get time. I, you know what? If, you, if you've got headphones, then I think it has to be Pink Floyd. Mm -hmm. And if it's Pink Floyd, I think, I mean, it could be any of them, but I wish you were here. I think that the, the four notes at the beginning uh, is uh, someone once said, someone wiser than me once said, the four most powerful notes in music, yeah. something along. I, I think it was oh, what four notes mean three. more? Okay. Are there four notes that mean more than that? I think is what the person said. I, I was I was near you when you heard that quote, uh, but that was my pick. I uh, wish you were here. Yeah, okay. Stan. But and the other one I would launch into because I, I I walk a lot with headphones on in the neighborhood just to stretch my legs. Uh, there's a live version of well, it's a Van Morrison live record. Uh, too late to stop now which is killer which i would recommend because it covers just about everything and there's he's got horns he's got violins he's got doo-wop singers and and uh it's it's fabulous so i recommend that one that's a much better uh, van morrison experience than i've had a few times <laughs> oh have you seen him live because i think we might have been to the same show van morrison three times and uh two uh he barely made uh an effort at all so yeah, uh, let's just that say was my experience. I won't go down in uh, in history as claiming Van Morrison to be one of the great live acts of all time. So, yeah, I, I didn't Van see Morrison. it live, but I have heard it live. <laughs> gotcha. All right. So questions, quicker questions, no limits. Um, 
if you could see a <clears throat> band or a singer uh, in their prime, obviously dead or alive, who would who would you like to time travel or present day? Who would you love to see? Uh, it wouldn't be dead or alive. It. it wouldn't be dead or alive, first of all, if that's what you're asking. <laughs> Damn, I wanted to get that in the mix. Oh. JT, what have you got? <laughs> I, I, it's got to be the the mighty Zeppelin. Oh, yeah. That that, okay. that would be, you know, that's that's a camel toe just staring in the face that you can't miss. Well, and okay, bonus question then: Where would you like to see Led Zeppelin if you could anywhere? Where would be the perfect venue? Well, probably in the UK. Yeah, um, where it's nice and humid and, and uh, Robert's curls are as curly as possible. Um, but I don't know venues in the UK. Yeah. I don't know. Hammersmith, how's that? Okay, there you go. Michael? I, 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 I mean, Zeppelin's got to be up there for me because they would be one of my top three probably bands ever. Uh, and uh, I think Robert Plant in concert would be hysterical. I, I just... <laughs> It would be uh, a lot. Um, I've never, in their prime, um, mm. I think, uh, well, I think I saw U2 in their prime. So, I, I, and I thoroughly enjoyed U2. I'm thinking um, something like from a, a Dirty Stones era. So, so uh, as they're warming up for their tour at the Alma Combo, would be kind of fun to see them. Because uh, I think they'd be having a lot of fun and smoking a lot of cig cigarettes and probably having some fun with the crowd too. So I'm yeah. thinking, I'm oh. thinking maybe the Stones in the early to mid '70s warming up in the Alma Combo. Let me put it that. Way. Let's say that. So How's buddy, mine's up. Does that cool exactly with you, Chris? I'm sure you have some ideas on the Alma Combo. Uh, the new Alma Combo can <laughs> suck it. <laughs> and the hey. douchebag who owns it. Um. Oh, I have a question for Mike. Okay, we're still in the lightning round. I can expand on my uh, thoughts about the Alma Combo for everybody if you want. But anyway, um, okay, Mike, road trip. Uh, you're in. Let's the do car. it. I'm in. Okay, you're in the car. You can only take one tape. What is it? Uh, what like one out one band one album, not a mix. One band, one album, one tape, one trip. It's all you get uh this is a good one i hadn't i hadn't thought of this one i'm thinking uh i'm thinking led zeppelin song remains the same oh a double album <laughs> we're playing we're playing <laughs> double albums Caves. that's that's what i'm going with and and uh if i can i indulge you on some on, a, on something that's please. that reminds yeah, me of something. this is the time so uh in the deli picking up some food with hope our daughter who's 17 uh the guy behind the counter is probably 18 19 uh and music is playing and then and it's like pink floyd or something something heavy and he's maybe 18 19. so i say to to, to hope pretty heavy music for the deli <laughs> come on so he hears me and he goes oh do you know who this is I said, yes, I, I know who this is. And he says, so uh, you like Pink Floyd? I said, yeah. He goes, well, have you ever heard Dark Side of the Moon? Yes, I've heard Dark Side of the Moon. He goes, well, what's your favorite favorite uh, Pink Floyd song? And we would talk about music for a couple of minutes. And he goes, have you ever heard of Led Zeppelin? <laughs> yes, I've heard of Led Zeppelin. He goes, well, what's your favorite song? So I said, probably the Led song remains the same. 
Lemon song. So as he's basically handing me the food, he, I said, said song remains the same. I, by the time I got to the cash <coughs> register, which was all of 30 feet away, I hear the guitar from Songerman. <laughs> He's changed the music for me to play it. Oh and I look gosh. over and he goes, that's for you, buddy. The deli kid is rocking it. Oh He's my rocking. God. He's, like the, he's the community DJ. That's so he remains <laughs> the same. So uh, love the album, love the song and live blow your egg. Fantastic. So that's there great. you go. So <clears throat> on, on the road trip album, um, I'm, I'm going to go between, uh, and I, I must sound like Mike Taylor, Savant Mike Taylor, uh, either Born to Run or Unforgettable Fire. But Mike's story just reminded me of something that you might find near and dear to your hearts. The sports bar in Queen, at Queens many years ago uh, on Brock, I think it was. It was a, a little hole in the wall. Anyway, yeah, I, I was there one I night. Yeah. And, and, and I saw a Tyson fight who, there. Yeah, yeah, Bone Crusher oh. Smith. That was a, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. Anyway, is his ear okay? Um, so, there was a guy there who he would have been old, like our age now. And uh, Hotel California was playing. And I walked in there and I don't remember what I said to set him off, but he said, you probably don't even know who wrote this song. And I said, well, Fry, Henley and Felder. And he's like, you probably don't even know what this song is about. And so I gave him my rant about, well, it's, uh, the, it's a, an allegory for California. And anyway, so I gave him my, my my explanation and he's like yeah okay well, well fuck you or whatever he said <laughs> can i borrow five it was, it was one of those ones where uh, so where's the ice cream man playing my, my uh anyway it was one of those ones where i was confronted over some classic rock and i thought you know what we can dance if you want <laughs> anyway i digress no ice cream for me <laughs> hey what's um jt what's the song that um you like that your uh, your uh, your spouse does not like, and vice versa. Well, mm -hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna delve back into the Zeppelin um, pool, and there's a gem called Achilles' Last Stand that is a full auditory assault. I I, I think Mike is aware of the song. I don't know if you guys do. It's on Presence, and it's the first tune on the record, and it just kicks your teeth in. It's over the over the top, and um, while we haven't discussed that song much, Led Zeppelin is usually not uh, a big uh, hit around this house or other houses that I've been part of. And my my experience with Led Zeppelin is, you need to screen people to say, do you like Led Zeppelin or can you listen to them or not? And and if they can't, then you just don't even go there. Uh, but I've gone there before, and it's not a big hit, but I I. After a bunch of videos of Led Zeppelin, apparently Achilles Last Stand is not the worst thing in the world. It, it's we, we've got a kick out of the camel toe uh, that we've seen on video, and, and vice versa. What, what does she put on that you uh, you're like uh, I got to walk out of the room? Um, there's not a lot that Tara has that that makes me walk out of the room. Uh, I'm I'm usually the one who takes over the radio. Um, so Mike Taylor, yeah, there's. Nothing There's bad. a the um, can't think of the band. Uh, uh, it's um. There's a song that Julie plays whenever her friends are over. Saturday night. Uh, that that. So let me let me think about that one. But um, what she doesn't like. Uh, I don't think she likes da da, which is is 
shocking to me. And it's, it's, that it's, changes everything. It's concerning. It is concerning. Yeah. We're, we're right <laughs> on the edge. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, and the song that Julie likes is, um, you ask, um, uh, I can't think of the name of it. The one where the guy goes, he goes over to the UK and has a too good a time and comes back and he can't uh, he can't deal with life because he's so hungover. Um, I'll think of it. Sorry, that's all right. J JT wins this round. That's okay. I'm I'm, I'm going to throw a, a, the the story. It's kind of like this. Speed round, JT. It's a speed round. You're right. I, I won't I won't bring it up after after we'll talk about the the Brad because I have a funny story. Carry on. <laughs> um, uh, either you guys ever get roped into karaoke? No. Oh, okay. no, no, no. I, I was almost roped into karaoke and I just realized I did not do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I had too much karaoke in Taiwan. So it never, it <laughs> yes. never ended well, but you know, I was, I was full, so full of alcohol. I didn't really know how bad I was. So. Does tapping on the steering wheel and singing to stuff that I like to sing to count as karaoke or not? Not at all. Karaoke is full embarrassment. Yeah. It's, right. it's, it's a stage. It's, it's, it's uh, all that stuff. Um, I'm hoping when uh, you're driving, you're sober. So, so John and Mike, I want you to listen to the complete question before you buzz in. One question's for Mike, one question's for John. Similar question, different twist. John Taylor, name the one song that you most closely associate with celebrated environmentalist Tim Favory. <laughs> well, uh, ho the holiday rap, I would say which was an ad adaptation of the uh, Madonna rap tune that was, uh, or, sorry, it was, a, it was a Madonna's tune Holiday was chopped up and turned into a rap in the early 80s. And a mutual friend of ours, John Craig, uh, added lyrics to it that was particularly familiar or relevant to Mike and, and some friends of his and me. That's what I associate with Tim Fabry. Nice. We'll give you five points for that. Uh, Mike Taylor. Yes. Uh, I need to know the song that you most closely associate with CFL star and and celebrated broadcaster Jock Climbing. There's a lot that I think of when I think of Jock Climbing. Um, but when I think of music and Jock Climbing, I think of Jock Climbing as the lead singer for the air band village people so i would have to say ymca by jaw climbing uh one they're one and the same and, and brad and i were in the same air band together jock was the man as the lead singer that's my answer nice that, that's funny because i thought tim was the lead singer that's that's how out of sync i was no no the <laughs> i thought the it was Brad long the policeman was the lead singer yes that's awesome. the uh aboriginal gentleman tim favory You've both been five it points. It was not your construction man or my cowboy. Sorry. <laughs> hey, uh, Wait, who wins that? With that? Who wins that one? Uh, yeah. What a Thanks. surprise. It's a tie. The, okay, boys. Um, and you have to agree on this one. Uh, we are going to make the uh, the Mike and John Taylor mixtape. What just genre? Just one tape. Just, you do not get individual tapes. We don't have that time, that time on our hands. So, you know, we're busy. So we have to get um, along. You have to get along. You know, is it upbeat? Is road trip? Is it is it a, a sexy tape? Because we've covered so much of that. <laughs> what are you guys thinking? Well, I, I I thought about this before 
uh, arriving on the show. And it seems to me there's all sorts of stuff in the 80s that Mike and I would like mind, either something we haven't heard before or something we haven't heard in 30 years that we get a kick out of, some of which we touched on today. And um, I, I'd like you guys to, to mine a decade that, of, of gems that you don't think we've come across before. And the 80s seems like the, the best one for that. Challenge accepted. No, I like this a lot. This is a really? new challenge for sure. Well, that was a lot of fun with the Taylor boys. Um, it was uh, it was good to talk almost all 80s with them. And, uh, and I'm glad that they gave us the parameters of making an 80s list because um, that's pretty easy for us. And uh, I definitely associate the 80s with the Taylor, the Taylor boys. So Chris and I are going to have at it. And, uh, and here you go. So sit back and enjoy. Okay, here we go. We are uh, we have our picks uh, after the Taylor experience, and um, you know, contrary, you know, John said he said, and I think Mike even said he said I like to start things off like a big tune, and I'm the opposite. When I have a mixtape, I, I don't like to hit you over the head with the very first tune, um, and but I I don't know I like a little bit of a build, and so my first choice was Solace of You by Living Color. Who, okay find their way on many of my mixtapes just because they 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 are a band that's that you can't pigeonhole they're funk mm -hmm. they're metal they're hard rock there's a little bit of like a little dancey aspect to them um and then you know i, I think i told you last night where i texted you and um and i went down the rabbit hole of living color like you know looking up their live concerts at cbgb's and um uh it, it was like they were the house band for a little while, you know? And I, I love, uh, there was a quote, um, I think from a guy in the band, he says, when an A&R guy says, we don't know how to classify you guys, yeah. we got the wrong fucking record company. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know what to do with us. They aren't gonna promote us. They don't have a clue. And uh, and just the run in so like they played, they played, they opened for so many groups. You know, they oh, yeah. for the Stones, they, they sure. And, you know, as you text it back, Vernon Reed, you oh. know, what a guitar player, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, just, just magic. And, 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 and I think that, um, I think the Living Color deserved a whole lot more than they got. And I think maybe they, they had their, they had their, their toe in so many musical pools that it was difficult to move forward um, with, with placing them or putting them in, you know, but just a, an all out ballsy rock funk punk band they were all over the map but they just joyous absolutely joyous yeah absolutely so anyway that's the way i'm starting off my tape okay where, uh, where, are, you, where are you going <laughs> well i i i went uh, in a slightly different direction i went with uh i went with uh, eddie cochran summertime blues um more of a reference to to the taylor brothers um uh listening to the who i guess because the who of course uh covered summertime blues so well but eddie cochran is joyous and youthful and it uh it, it's the hope of rock and roll at the time and uh it's it's a song that uh, i've always always loved a lot love the guitar work on it and uh love the tempo and uh and i threw that one in because um if we were going to um more or less be exempt from the direct references if we were gonna if we were gonna dig into a cover of a reference then it would have to be uh eddie cochran for me just loved it loved it and he was 
live hard, die hard. Live hard, 100%. die young. Yeah. He cut out at 24. Yeah. 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 He, uh, he got a head start on the 27 club by, uh, by, by 36 months. <laughs> oh, okay. And I don't know how I stumbled upon Orville Peck, but I found him I about six I... months ago. Have you ever heard of him? <laughs> to, to be fair, I, I, I had to look that one up, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> because I was fascinated by the by the name, I, I was expecting a jug band, but uh, got so much more when you pulled that rabbit out of the hat. Loved it, loved it. Well, he did this tune. Spotify had a challenge for a, a cover, like a cover challenge. Mm-hmm. So he answered the bell for that, and he did this uh, uh, with pride in mind. And so, Great. so he he is a gay country singer who has a Lone Ranger mask with the frills coming down. So no one's ever seen his face. Um, and the thing is, but the internet refuses to, to let anything just go. So they've analyzed him and he forgot to cover up his tattoos. So they're pretty sure he is the, the drummer for a punk band. Oh, okay. The drummer for a punk band. He's from South Africa, uh, lived in England for a while, lives in Toronto now. And he is the gay voice of the country scene. Very cool. And that song, it's almost like what, it's almost evangelical. It's like, like at times his voice is just like, it's a preacher voice. I, I have played that a lot in the last six months. I love the song. And, you know, um, Small Town Boy, it's, uh, it is quite the gay anthem for sure. Like it's... Oh, uh, absolutely. It, so um, absolutely. I don't know. I, I loved it. And I know that they like, you know, Bronski B was definitely 80s, and they mentioned they like cover tunes, so there you go. Not <laughs> what you probably ordered up, Taylor Boys. <laughs> no, but this is this this is all about curveballs, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. What, uh, uh, what what do you want to do? I went right down the line with an with a with a, a bit of a, a bit of a gimme. You know, they mentioned uh, they mentioned their high school experience and going in slightly different directions and the jam came across and um and uh from the album the gift i went with uh happy together which is a, a bit of a rocker it's a it's uh a fantastic song of course it tells a tells a cool story too but um more importantly uh it's uh it is it is pure 80s um and uh and i couldn't let that one go i i i i mean the, the jam is easily my favorite band of all time so um so it was easy for me to to go to that reference but more specifically for mike and uh mike and john um uh happy together is not only um not only a great tune but uh i did cross-reference it to their twindom for happy together yeah. right on that's right um, yeah okay so my next one's the charlatans um and uh, the only one I know, and it just sounds eighties. Like, Charleston's UK. About... <laughs> exactly, Charleston's UK. Not to be confused <laughs> with the lawsuit. <laughs> yeah. No, great um, song, great choice. And you know when I when I uh, was doing looking at their background because I, I I just heard them, but I, I I don't follow them and never really did follow them. But they were always on a uh, being played uh, at places where you're going to dance and have fun and. Um, the Manchester baggy sound is what they were referred to. 
It is indie dance techno funk. That was the sound that they represented. So <laughs> trivia. Not to get no, too specific. I, no, but uh, <laughs> there you go. The uh, the Charlottesons UK um, had that sound. <laughs> so where uh, are you going, Al Stewart? I did. I, I did go uh, to Al Stewart. You know, um, they they mentioned uh, their sisters' choices as big influences, and uh, and time passages uh, certainly. Um, is, is one I had to, had to grab on that one. Um, <laughs> Alistair really has two songs, and uh, and I went with the one that I like more than another. But it is a it is a good song, and I think I knew where where um, where Mike and John were going with that in in terms of listening to um, the the sisters' uh, music, the older sisters' music, and uh, and 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 using that as a springboard to discovering their own. But you could see the soft touch of. Uh, of um of al stewart and uh and how that sort of fit the mold at the time it was uh it was a shallow end in to uh to the rest of the music that they like so and it's a good song it's a great song well he might beg to differ with you <laughs> i read I, I did i did research on this song well, he, he was in an elevator one well, years after this song and he starts hearing this song come on in the elevator and he said to the 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 guy who interviewed him he said i gotta admit i listened to the opening of the song and i said what kind of shit song is this and then i heard my voice <laughs> he, he's not the first musician to hear this song and 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 have a cringeworthy moment I'm sure. Um, I'm sure. So I was thinking about the boys and their drum kit. Oh. And thinking about John said that he played Salisbury Hill endlessly. So, you know, I was thinking, you know, Erasure covered it um, years after they were popular. They did, they did a, an album of cover songs and, yeah. um, and they did this. And I just thought it, it's pretty appropriate to either you like this cover song or you don't, which is kind of like, you know, the parents upstairs who keep hearing Salisbury Hill being botched over and over and over again. And so I wasn't gonna give them the, the good Peter Gabriel version. I was definitely gonna give them the cover where they may or may not like this at all. And, and um, <laughs> thinking back to the conversation, it's not the most challenging drum piece. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> it makes it even and, the, and, and the drum still got tossed out I, and it wasn't that know, hard <laughs> i immediately had to put the song on when, if, if i had to hear that drum beat from downstairs going non-stop for about four weeks there might not be twins there'd be only one <laughs> i honestly you know you, you have successfully had a child who's very talented musically. I don't know if I could put up with the drum kit in the basement. I really, really do not. No, no. I God guess bless the uh, the Taylor the Taylor parents. The electronic drum kits make it easy on parents now because the kid can just have headphones on and beat the shit out of drums, and no one's the wiser, right? Yeah, exactly. But, uh, back in the analog drum days, I don't know how much insulation you can do with grandma's old quilts, but I don't think there's much that you can stop from hearing every bang and crash through a house. So my hat goes off to the parents, Taylor, for putting up with that. <laughs> um, I honestly can't imagine it. Okay, here you go. <laughs> because, because I think I have a, a pretty good grip on that, although I am older. 
um, on the Lawrence Park music scene in the 80s. Uh, I went with The Cure Just Like Heaven because um, because I could see that there was that there there was definitely uh, two solitudes in the music scene, certainly in that part of Toronto uh, at the time, and uh, and the Cure just represented everything that was that was anti anthem rock to my mind at the time, uh, and, uh, and 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 just like heaven seems like it it would fit right in that slot at the time in the neighborhood with the boys and uh although i don't think there was any specific mention of robert and the and and the cure i just think that, that one to for for me it just fit and uh, and it's a great tune it's a great tune he actually says it's the best thing he's ever written really oh, okay yeah and that line show me show me show me that uh, that trick you do that one that'll make me scream you know yeah. that thing that'll make me scream it's like come on you hear that and he wrote that for his girl and i love when they recorded that album it was a just a classic movie scene where their studio, you got the soundboard, you got all the girlfriends on the couch in the background. When they played a song, the girls would rate it one out of 10. And that's how they judged their music. And they just sat there <laughs> drinking, smoking ciggies, just going, sure. You know, um, I just think that's a great visual. And he was in love with that girl and they, they yeah. happily ever after, you know, so but he wrote it for her wrote best song ever. And, and uh, good. I don't know. I, I, it, it really is. Um, when I think of the eighties, you definitely think of the cure. Oh, for yeah. sure. And he was a child magician. Did not know that. He was show me, show me, show me that trick you do has more than one meaning. Oh, It'd be hey. having adolescent sparkly shirt meaning. And then, uh, and then uh, uh, flopping around on the couch meeting. So there you go. Oh, okay. Okay. He's well, that leads into that Robert Smith. I'm going to, I'm going to go out of order. Cause I was going to close with um, um, what was that? Uh, my last one was rolling. No. Oh, you had the rolling stones. Did you, no. or did I? Was I it did me? not. That was you. Okay. All right. Uh, oh, waiting on a friend. So waiting on a friend. I love that story of like, you know, no one's really sure if waiting on a friend is waiting on a girlfriend, just hanging out outside yeah. waiting for a girl to come along, or if it was waiting for a heroin drop. Right. Yeah. Good so point. Once the, the, the magic will never really know because that was the heroin days and uh, just uh, hanging outside waiting on a friend. So, um, so anyways, that's, that's my latest selection and uh, it could have went anywhere with the Rolling Stones, but uh um, and I kind of want to do a live one because they have lots of live recordings. Everyone I listened to sounded shite. So oh, really? I just, yeah, I, I couldn't find any that I, I really liked that. I, I liked his voice. So, so there you go. Oh. You're, you're go. You and I both picked the smithereens for completely different songs, maybe yeah. for different reasons. But um, I went with uh, Only a Memory, which is just such a fucking great song. And a terrific band, as I mentioned to you earlier in the text about uh, about their live performance and uh, getting them uh, getting them twice in Ottawa it was just fantastic. But they were uh, Jersey boys, right? They're New Jersey boys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So and, that's what I was thinking because they mentioned Bruce Springsteen, and I'm like, sure. I could go for the obvious. I could go for you know, you know, these guys that uh, I don't think were very well known. I was blown away that you booked them twice. So uh, <laughs> that was pretty funny. What was the venue? Pick that one, uh, Porter Hall in uh, 
uh, first one was Porter Hall at Carlton, which was yeah. uh, home to so many great shows in the early 80s. I mean, it was just um, program director for the school was a guy named Pete Wheatley. And he was bringing in just, you know, it, it, just the incredible variety of bands that he had the foresight to bring in early on the heels of their careers was just unbelievable. He's, uh, he, he was a great guy, great guy to, to uh, work with and to, and to uh, load in and out speakers and amps and hump crap around for him um, in the day and, uh, and gr great experience. But, uh, you know, the good thing about being a, being a roadie is um, you, uh, you know, you see the acts, you hang around, you, you know, you, you get to maybe even spend some time with them. And, uh, and uh, it's, uh, it was great fun just superb but but um a show a show like no other i just thought it was fantastic so i'm always going to give a shout out to the smithereens <laughs> oh right on yeah i was i was surprised because like i said to you last night in that text and like i thought i was like oh chris is going to be so impressed with my pick <laughs> <laughs> that was funny because I, I i had that on the list and then there and then you just you nailed that one so it's too good hey i'm actually gonna um you know, so many of these, what I thought were just straight up pop bands, actually had their roots in punk, which is mind blowing to me. You know, and I kind of, I knew it from the Stranglers, but when I got attracted to the Stranglers, I think I told you it was a second or third year university across the street. Uh, a girl I was interested, Tamsin, uh, she loved the Stranglers. So I borrowed her cassette tape and I fell in love with them. But that was like, I was in love with their, their more poppy stuff with Golden Brown and uh, Always the Sun. And, um, and then of course, Skin Deep. And, and then, you know, and then actually it's funny, later in life, I've learned to appreciate punk more than I did. Like most people like it when they're younger. I've actually went heavier as I've grown older. And, um, <laughs> and I know that was during the windsurfing days as I live with a guy who really liked punk and uh, a lot of the music was going in, in the house was punk and, um, uh, I, I found out it wasn't so bad and I actually got into it. And then, uh, but what's funny about the Stranglers is that Brian Duffy, known as Jet Black, yeah. started the band in his 30s. He had money. He had money because he had a fleet of ice cream vans. Come on. He was the ice cream mogul and he <laughs> sold that off, opened a, a, I guess what they call an off sales, like a pub. And then he always wanted to be in a punk band. So started a punk band and he had this pub. So they played there and cut their teeth there after he was the ice cream man for 30 until he was mid thirties. That's some, that's some quality digging on that one. <laughs> so, so there you go. There's stranglers with a little bit of a <laughs> twist at the end. So where are you going now? Um, I, uh, I jumped around a little bit, but um Neil Young was uh, mentioned, of course, as 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 he probably would be, and uh, of course I had to go down the cover road. And um, I've always liked um, uh, Jason Isbell's cover of "Like a Hurricane," which I thought was damn cool. Which and, he kicked up a lot, like and, he up the up the pace. <laughs> he did. That was a throwdown, and um, I, I realized that in in most Canadian kids' discography there's going to be a Neil Young reference because you're going to be in someone's rec room. You're going to be at someone's cottage or maybe someone's going to warble a Neil song from a campfire, but because it's always going to be a cornerstone, I don't think it necessarily has to be um, the, the real article, especially when 
so much, so much of his, uh, of his, uh, of his, uh, so many of his titles have been covered so well. And the Jason Isbell just floored me. I just loved it. So I thought it deserved to be in there. And thanks for the introduction. I'd never heard of Jason Isbell oh, and I listened to that and now I'm a fan. Like that, it, it, uh, I way prefer that. I'm sorry. I, 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 I'm okay with Neil Young because I'm a good Canadian and I go to cottages and listen to it, but I, I don't at home. I don't put it on. And, you don't like um, discordant guitar solos that go on endlessly? Um, I, I just have a guitar on display, but I don't <laughs> play it. So. <laughs> So no, I don't. <laughs> but but my my uh, business partner saw him at uh, Coachella two three years ago, and of all of those acts, like there's really big acts there. Obviously, he stole the show. Great. Hardly talked to the audience. Just came on and did an amazing set that went on for quite some time. And they said it was just perfect. Like obviously, he probably spoke a little bit, but he wasn't super chummy with the audience. He was a little crusty, Neil yeah. Young. But they said it was the best thing they saw all weekends, which wow. surprised me. Yeah, because um, I definitely would have been there for Beyonce, you know, obviously. Wow. <laughs> and Who would want to be there for Beyonce? <laughs> hoping my boy Orville Peck opens up, you know, so. <laughs> now that would make a full evening. <laughs> that would make a full evening for me, my God. Um, <laughs> and, and my next pick is just a selfish pick because it okay. was the 80s. And for some reason, I had this thing for David and David, Welcome to the Boontown. And, yeah. you know, I, I love the whole album. And they didn't do a thing after. Like, they, they did the one album. And I think that I, I think that was it. They might have done another one. But I think it was just a one-off. And there was, it got good reviews. It wasn't the happiest music. It was definitely about uh, down and out and cheating. And, mm -hmm. and uh, this one's, you know, a bit of a drug addiction or drug or alcohol addiction. But I loved it. You know, so I think that the only thing they did together after that, they helped Cheryl Crow start her career. They wrote a lot of her first album with her. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, and then they went on their merry ways, separate ways. But uh, I played it a lot in university. So I, in the eighties, this is definitely on, on my mixes and welcome to the boomtown just has a, has a good, it's pretty distinctive uh, uh, guitar sound right off the start. And I don't know, it, it's, it's a personal choice. So the John Taylors are getting, getting my personal choices nice <laughs> well, yeah. well well i uh, i threw uh i threw in this case mike a bone by uh picking u2's new year's day and i need mm. to preface this by saying that bono is a preachy fuck and for that reason i have very little time for u2 very little time when <laughs> When, when you get told to make sure that you hallmark a good percentage of your income for charity and then hide all of yours in Switzerland, I, I, I take great umbrage to that. And I'm just, the whole Bono act just wore pretty thin with me early on. So pretty much anything past Unforgettable Fire for me is unforgettable. So I went to the, uh, I went to the early bank and, uh, and chucked in New Year's Day, still a good song. In spite pre, of everything, it's still a good song. Free preachy fuck, and uh, and uh, I'm not that crazy about about the Edge's guitar work. I mean, um, he, uh, his his talent notwithstanding, I, I'm just the the layer upon layer upon layer doesn't do it for me the way that the way that uh, 
a cleaner, rougher sound does. So I'm not a huge, you know, I'm, <laughs> I wouldn't line up in the rain to see you too. Although just let me, let me tell you that, but it is new year's day when it came out. Great song, great record at the time. And, uh, and, uh, I had to throw Mike a YouTube bone cause he, he is a big, big fan. So I'll give him that. He is. Um, did you see that? Was there a Netflix documentary? This might get loud. The, uh, Oh yeah. Jack White. Okay. Well, <laughs> you know, they, they show up like Jack White, Jimmy Page, I think was yeah, Jimmy Page. Was, yeah. Uh, and uh, just how knowledgeable and how talented they are. And then you go, you go to Bono's little pieces like, so I got this machine. I just go like this <laughs> and I sit back for five minutes and it does its thing. And I do remember on, they were on the stage and it was, was it four of them or three? But I remember Bono's over here and, or no, uh, the edge is over here. And, um, and these guys are supposed to play something together. And in about a minute in, you could see Jack White kind of go like this and just him and Jimmy Page just kind of get at it. Cause like, this guy's got nothing to give us. It was a fucking hilarious. So it was, I think it was supposed to be a celebration of his talents with all the uh, effects, but anyone could see that's like, sure, he's got talent, but sure. these guys are bringing it. Jeez. Well, I mean, you know? an undeniable talent, but I love the scene where they show the Thames River in the background. And he has a giant room full of effects. And Jack White takes a Coke bottle and, <laughs> and a plank of wood, a guitar string and an old pickup and hammers it all together and starts wailing on it. And it sounds a hundred better, hundred times better than any of the shit that the edge comes out with. So that was, and, and to, and of course, to be fair to the King, to, to Jimmy Page, he just, uh, he just plugs straight into a tube amp and just let her rip. So, um, I, I think that that, uh, that that film didn't cast, uh, the edge in, in in the best light. I'm sure that everyone who fawns over and just loved it and couldn't get enough. Oh, absolutely, but, yeah. Know, but it showed it showed um, the the from a purist point of view who the winners in uh, in that little scrap was. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, now I put on a band here that I know that you have zero time for. Uh, Promises, promises by Naked Eyes. Because of the fact, because I don't know anything about them, I'm just like this. Is a, this is a, this was definitely an '80s tune. Yeah. Uh, I remember listening to it. But sure. here's the thing about them: they never ever played live because they couldn't recreate their studio sound on stage. So, you know, again, you know, they're not the only ones. Promises, promises is 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 sort of like shitty wallpaper from that era. You know, you're going to come across it by accident once in a while and you're going to peel off you're going to peel off a layer or something and fuck right behind it is promises, promises. It is dreadful, but I think there's a quality in the in its awfulness and i think that there's a lot of bands and a lot of songs like that that have this enduring quality and 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 the shit still stinks after all this time it's almost unforgivable but it's reasonable that it exists because it it, it needs to be there for history to know what horrible taste people had in the 80s you can't bury it it needs the truth needs to be out there we have to be ashamed did we just lose two friends here? We're, we're making a tape for the Taylors, so we're just going, <laughs> here's another shit tune. <laughs>
guys are amazing, but what's the, what's I can't a stand song we can come up with to put on a tape for them. It's <laughs> <laughs> your, your turn. <laughs> well, um, I uh, um, I put in um, Icicle Works. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now, again. <laughs> Again, a band that didn't have a lot of endurance in terms of of, of large popularity, but um, you know, I don't think anybody anybody wouldn't give a left nut to have the popularity they had for such a short time, which is fine. But uh, I threw in "Birds Fly." We, I mean, name another icicle work song. I don't think anybody can, but I think that that's a song that again it it, it frames the time that the Taylors are really speaking of, and and if you were to put a a soundtrack to that era i don't think it would be complete without that without song that song and for that reason it, it that's why it ended up on my list i'm unapologetic about that turd they came from liverpool oh there you go yeah so they deserve yeah they're, they're, they're the they're first quality, popular they, band they to come from water. liverpool absolutely they, they were keeping the tradition alive keeping the legacy alive of liverpool exactly. well done <laughs> What do you got? I got Perfect Way by Scritti Politti, okay. um, another stellar group. But uh, here's the, they started out once again, like, like about four of the bands that I chose as a punk band, and I, which is mind blowing to me. Um, but here's the neat little thing about them is that Miles Davis loved the song. Miles Davis had to do, um, like he did a, one of those CDs where it's like 1980 to 1990 and his record company said, you have to put one cover on it has to be one thing that, uh, you know, people from outside your, your genre are going to actually maybe say, Oh, well, let's, let's listen to Miles Davis because song, he loved the song and he put the song on there. Wow. I know. I Who would have thunk that Miles Davis would, uh, would have uh, had a thing for Scritti Politti, but Very uh, he important. did. And uh, so it makes this mixtape for the Taylors even more valuable. <laughs> <laughs> when um, when um, John was saying that uh, that his uh, that his uh, second uh, second son was um, was ben. leading him down, uh, yeah, Ben was taking him down a few musical roads and some stuff that he hadn't really had the time to appreciate. That's kind of a cool story. I mean that's kind of yeah. fun, but mm -hmm. uh, but uh, curious that 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 the that this that the artist that he mentioned that he didn't really have a connection to, and I think that speaks to um, when you know they said that music wasn't a big thing growing up in their house, but um, had it been, those were exactly who I'm imagine that he would have heard in his house. I mean he would have heard all of those ones that he that that uh, that he spoke about. But uh, I went with. Uh, uh, Aretha Franklin um, think which is for a number of reasons I mean the absolute queen genius brilliant song but uh, I do know that the uh, that the boys both like the movie Blues Brothers and of course it makes uh, it makes a it makes a guest appearance there too there you go there she is love this album yeah this is a good live album yeah fantastic yeah Exactly. And that's, uh, I think of that scene, that's a, uh, that's a good scene from the Blues Brothers. And yeah, I, I I've watched that film with, uh, with Mike Taylor a couple of times, I think it's, 
It's great. You know, I think, and what was the Bradley Cooper lady got a star, a star is born. They did the remake of that, right? I'm almost positive. And I should have looked it up, but in that scene where he gets in a bar fight after he, he sees her sing in her bar, he goes and checks her out mm -hmm. and he's just on a bit of a bender and then they end up leaving. Uh, and he's, he's got a, uh, did she, Oh, she cracks someone's head open drag, with her fist. In the drag bar? In the drag bar, yeah. And they go to the grocery store to buy some frozen peas. Aretha right. Franklin is the cashier. No, I didn't even notice that, I don't think. Yeah, well, I saw that and I thought I recognized the voice. And she had like no hair because it was, uh, it was uh, near the end in the cancer days. And uh, I'm pretty damn sure that's her. So um, I should have done some research. But when I think of... Um, uh, Aretha Franklin recently, uh, that's something that comes to mind. So uh, next time I'll do some more research and have a better story. Um, so um, I don't know, did they mention yes? I think they did mention yes. Absolutely, yep. Yeah, so leave it. And um, I quite enjoyed the album, leave it, uh, that this, that this uh, album was off of. Um, I like this song a lot. Um, yeah, it's, I, I hated the video. Um, and this is right, I think, when the band started to turn because they, they, they wanted to be more prog rock and then they got super popular and that's all they heard is just make another hit single, make another hit single. Right. And this is, I think this is the album where things, it was a good album, but I think things fell apart after this, like things went downhill because half the band wasn't happy with what they're doing, playing these songs that uh, they, they kind of half liked. And, um, mm -hmm. but um, I do like, I, I like the serendipity of groups when you find out how things happen. And um, it was, uh, they were sitting in a bar before they were a band and they just played a few gigs and they're like, we need a name. And one of the guys said, um, let's call it life. And one of the other guys, I think it was John Anderson, because he didn't come up with the final name. He said, how about world? And the third guy said, yes. <laughs> and that was it. And it reminds me. <laughs> just that serendipity well it reminds me of two things is mike taylor talked about serendipity of going to see andrew cash with doug perry yeah at like at the the no drinks allowed uh, venue and having a great ad hoc night but i also remember something the opposite of that of uh many drinks involved it was uh i'm not even sure if i was there but i do remember the story that it was like another wednesday night and drinking games were sometimes uh, a big deal on on any night when you want to get loaded before you went to whatever uh the morrissey or something you want to get a few a few quick drinks in and get a quick buzz before you didn't spend too much money at the pub and um they'd run out of drinking game ideas so they came with you drink no you drink and that's it they sat in a circle and just pointed at each other <laughs> there was no game to it at all. that'll get the job done so the simplicity just works sometimes. So I don't know. That's uh, when I read that story, I just thought about drinking games and how it just boils down to, okay, why don't we just all drink? My hat goes off to their efficiency. <laughs> Absolutely. Not, not drawn out, no focus groups. The unavoidable fact of knowing Mike and John is that Kiss is going to come into play at some point in any given evening. At there's no denying given evening. there's no avoiding it's no. it's gonna happen There'll brace yourself problem. yeah so there was no way in hell i was gonna give them a straight up 
kiss song. I just wasn't. Yeah. I wasn't going to give them the handful of glitter and confetti that they're after. So it was obviously going to be a cover. And, uh, and do you uh, think, do you think it's John's secret wish when he pops on this video? Does he actually think that, oh, maybe they put on makeup for me? Maybe they did it right. I think he assumes that people do that just everyday people do it. Like that they're the spaceman or, or the devil child or whatever the characters are supposed to be. Now that you mentioned that, I think I've kind of let him down that I didn't I play on the black and white paint. We should have we should have had some kind of t-shirt or or platform shoes at least, you know. <laughs> As you look around, you're like, what can I get? What kid stuff do I have lying around? <laughs> The answer to your question, what kiss stuff do I have lying around? <laughs> I can tell you there's nothing in the tickle trunk currently that, <laughs> that would help me out there. But now that you've raised that specter, now I, it's all about disappointing. God. Well, the Taylortons are, they're, they're already upset with their selections. So <laughs> how, how much further can we disappoint? So, so you mentioned... Well, you and I, I couldn't find this. Yeah, so that. I I pitched um, from 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 the record the cover record called "Kiss My Ass." Um, uh, I, I went with Lenny Kravitz's cover of "Deuce," which is which is fantastic. I mean, it really was good. Yeah, it, and I watched it, it on YouTube. It was it was amazing. Song and, yeah. And, yeah. And, and for a variety of reasons, I don't think the, that 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 record is commercially available. But you led me down a different path, and you suggested the d snyder cover was that the one you that you oh i just i just said I, well you actually chose it but i just said okay. god there's there's so much here there's so much to choose and i was yeah. i was so bummed i i i'm good at finding things but having on that sorry to interrupt but your yeah. lenny kravitz selection stevie wonders is singing backup in that <laughs> on the kiss tribute song you got lenny killing it and stevie's in the background singing back that's why i spent an hour trying to find it i'm like wow. i just couldn't find it so so you went with d snyder i i, I think just as a second choice um d snyder's version of detroit rock city i think yep yes, that's what it is um it's pretty damn fine too mm -hmm. they're not going to get the real thing but they're going to get it they're going to get it close and and uh and uh that rips it's a it's a goodie D. Yeah. Snyder, who thought it would be an excellent idea at the peak of his career with Twisted Sister to file his teeth into a point. What you do? Poor D. Poor D. He had Poor it all. He did. It away. <laughs> he really did have it all for a year. <laughs> yeah, I, I, for, for seven to eight months, he, 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 he had it all. So, but um, uh, from what I gather, he's a very entertaining character. And he's had the dental work done, so he's he's it's all good with D. He's back in the game. <laughs> um, so I think we we talk Beatles and that they have an appreciation for Beatles. I think they 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 like him. It's not first and foremost, but we talked about how um, I think it was JT that talked about uh, George Harrison, and you guys uh, went on and uh, talked about how he he was you know the man, and um, that's why I um uh, I chose George Harrison when and. Um, Oh, when we were uh, when uh, when we was fab, and um, 
And it's one of my favorite George Harrison songs in a big way. And um, it's talking about the good times of the Beatles, you know, looking back and, and uh, rose colored glasses. And um, I, I think somewhat rose colored glasses, but I, I think he had time to kind of process it. But what I do love about this song is uh, once again, serendipity of how it came together. Um, Kim and his writing partner at the time, or a guy in the band, um, uh, flew to, I think it was Australia, somewhere, Australia, New Zealand, I think it was Australia, uh, to see the Grand Prix. And so just picture yourself at a dinner party, George Harrison's there, which is lucky enough, you know, that's, that's pretty cool. Hopefully you're gonna have a good conversation at one point and, and hopefully you, you smoke a joint and have a really good conversation. But, uh, but then halfway through dinner, there's a grand piano over there. Him and his writing partner wander over the grand piano. They were thinking about the song. They come up with the melody. They come up with the verse. And pretty fucking good dinner party. Wow. In the middle of a dinner party, you know? <laughs> and, and what do you do? You're at the dinner party. You're, you just know this dinner party. There's maybe like 16 people there. There's lots of wine flowing. There's boisterous people. And there's one guy who knows it all. Uh, there's got to be one guy who's uh, coming over the piano with a few ideas for them, you know, <laughs> just oh, imagine. Guaranteed. Yeah. M move over, would you? Just, just move over. So, um, where, where do you want to go? Um, am I out? I think I'm done. You had psychedelic. Oh, oh. you had a few. You had Elton oh, John kind of dancer. Yeah, we yeah. had uh, psychedelic first. Um, uh, pretty in pink. Um, I like. I've always liked the first. I like Richard Butler. Um, again, another another band that uh, played in our little venue in Ottawa and uh, thought the world of them. Not only was it a great band, great guys. The the song, of course, is 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 so so tied to the Molly Ringwald vehicle um which is fine i guess it's not uh, uh it's not a movie that speaks to me i was obviously too old to to have that sort of teenage angst but um but i think it fits uh it fits the boys um over quite nicely and uh and uh you know it's it's got that little high school connection thing going on uh where, where they were at the time and uh and it's a it's it's a cool song if you if you separate yourself from from the film um it's uh that's why i thought it should be there but uh i like the song i, I like, like the song too. i don't know the movie well i like the song too but uh even they are like uh he used a song for the movie because it's about her being a slut right and yeah. they actually so you know the rumor has it that molly really liked it so she presented john hughes said oh, i really like this song can we work it into the film and he, he claims he wrote a lot of the song i wrote a lot of the film with the song in mind okay and psychedelic psychedelic fears are like did you really get the song <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> she's a dirty little slut and we're making fun of her <laughs> like, can we, uh... so they always uh they always cringe a little bit i'm actually out of tunes but um uh, yeah, the last one I think we missed is yours with Elton John, Tiny Dancer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, you have to throw some Elton John in there. I'm 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 uh, unapologetic in my support of uh, of uh, of Elton John and uh, and uh, the reference the reference uh, of that song, of course, is is more speaking to 
um, its use in cinema and it's and it's the, the song I think it ties in well with um, the boys I think that they um, I think they both mentioned at some point uh, Elton John of course there's too many songs that you could pick but um, I went I went that one for that one just to uh, just to temper the to temper the uh, beats per minute of some of the other ones that I picked just to just to bring it down a little bit I think I think that's why I did it but it's a good song. Too. Well, it's a good song too. But yeah. you know, um, Elton John actually never never played it live. Like he played it live early on, yeah. didn't go over at all. Right. Crowd did not respond to it. And then as soon as nobody almost knew, famous it, knew came about out, it until almost famous came out. Yeah, absolutely. And he's like, he said, I gotta thank uh, Cameron Crowe because uh, no <laughs> one liked this song. And as soon as I play it now, it's the it's the biggest sing along of all time. And I wonder. Um, I actually did like two minutes of research before we did this, which obviously is not enough. Um, but I, I was my last little thing that I was Googling, I'm like, does Elton John know that everyone sings Tony Danza? And I couldn't find, <laughs> he, I couldn't find the answer for that. He must. He must, yeah. absolutely, he must. And I think that Reginald Dwight has a good enough sense of humor that he would say, you know, fuck it, that's pretty funny. Oh, absolutely, wow. I think so, for sure. Yeah, and he, um, he is at the fuck it stage of his career anyway. I mean, he makes all the decisions. No one does it for him. If he wants to do it, he does it. The bitch is back. He's fucking awesome. And I saw the, that was the last concert I saw. It was uh, Elton John, uh, super serendipitous in terms of um, yeah. at the restaurant. He played, he played on Saturday night and then Monday night here. So he took a, he took a rest day and, um, or maybe a Saturday, Sunday, and then uh, Tuesday or something Elton like that. Just him, him doing his thing, and and yeah, we're... just him doing his thing. There's no warm up acts, uh, and uh, it was just him on the stage. Uh, oh, of course, with all of the backing band, which you know, when you read about the backing band, most of those guys are seven years old. They they've been his backing band for a long time. Oh God, yeah, God, yeah. yeah I mean, so it was uh, I can't remember if it's still doing it, but Davy Johnstone played guitar for him for many years, and um, Nigel is the drummer. And uh, I mean, they, they, they had a pretty tight band for a long, long time. Yeah. So those guys came to Vancouver and uh, and, it, you know, I I have a guy who uh, comes in the restaurant who goes to see everything and uh, he yeah. loves the Rolling Stones and um, he claims to be really good friends with the Rolling Stones. And he just might be because he, he gets flown into a lot of places and uh, right. and he has shown me uh, he has been backstage because uh, he showed me the the the. Um, the cases that um, the guitars are in for Keith Richards. Like he, right. he's, Andy's somehow in there. And, and none uh, of them have about, low strings. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and Andy's like our age, but in any event, oh, he, yeah. came to the, he, he came to the restaurant um, on the Sunday night uh, on the rest day. And I was like, I said, how was the show? He says, oh, I saw both things. And I'm like, I sure you did. And of course he's like front row. Like he just gets every ticket he's in everywhere. And, um, and I'm like, I think I may have missed an opportunity. He's like, oh, well, just go online, buy tickets. I'm like, really? He says, oh, yeah, yeah. They just release more tickets. And he oh, goes wow. on his phone. And because of the fact they hold until the, the day before the concert, they're holding many VIP tickets. And then if they don't get snapped up, sure. then, then they go. And uh, so I was at the side, essentially fourth row in the stands. <laughs> Perfect. And, and, uh, and Reg was essentially... 20 yards from me at all times. Fantastic. It was amazing. And every time after every set, and it was amazing because he was so chill that he talked about the songs for four or five minutes in between songs. There's his little rest time, but he told, it was story time. 
it was uh, it right. was really good. And Vancouver crowds are known for being sleepy and reserved. And it was just a big sing along. It was it was one of the better times. And and I think even he was pleasantly surprised. There's lots of times he kind of looked up as like, wow, this you guys are doing good. You know? <laughs> so that was nice to see him because who knows if we'll ever tour again, like if COVID doesn't end soon, you know, he's, he's running out of touring yeah. time because he cut it short just before. I think he got quite sick uh, on the road. So, well, for so sure, you know, for, for a bunch of other reasons, he's been doing it for a long time. He's got a great marriage. He's got two kids. I think he's got two Yeah, and, he, and he's so. got a great life. So why would you want to, you know, he's left a great legacy of live music. Yeah. And, and, and writing and, and performing. So, you know, I don't think anybody would hold it against him if he just said, you know, I'm fucking done. This has been a long life of doing this. But and I think, I think he, I think he tried that. And I think David he, said, can you get the fuck out of the house? You know, it's, it's not part of his DNA, right? <laughs> so I think there's a bit of that. Well, and you know, Furnish is Canadian. So maybe tours of Canada can still be part of the game because he's got tons of friends here. He was in that, he was in the advertising world. He's got, you know, lots of, lots of pals uh, in certainly in Toronto, I'm sure. And uh, so maybe, maybe Toronto's going to get all the shit, all the shows who knows, but anyway. Great. You get that new Massey Hall and uh, you'll be the house band. I have to look at the ticket. I think my first Elton John show was in 1980. I do have the stub. I kept all my stubs. I'll, I'll, I'll take a picture and send it to you. I'm sure it was, but that was the full on Nigel Olson, Davy Johnstone. I think Caleb K was playing bass and it was, it was in his absolute, I mean, 80 was his, you know, late seventies, very early eighties wheelhouse for his uh, eccentricities and for his live show. It was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. yeah. It was, uh, it was, uh, it was good, good time. I, I think that we've done the Taylor brothers a great service by including Reginald Dwight in the list. Well, we've done them a service. Let's see what they think. <laughs> <laughs> now you got me all wound up because we didn't, we've done nothing for them to serve their kiss fantasy. Um we in this the power of video we can we can uh, add on to this so send me some pictures and i'll just intersperse them okay. and, uh, <laughs> we could have done a puppet show there could have been something at least like coffee mugs or something like that yeah so um yeah we we might have to have the taylor tins back on so we can do them do them right but uh, you, uh this was can, this is pretty much fun you can you can trim the the wheat from the chafe here a little bit too because i'm sure that there's going to be some expendable ones on my end so feel free have at it whittle it down to what you see best but this is great fun to follow up with the tailors and um and see what they think of our bizarre masala of songs that bear virtually no resemblance to the conversation we had with them we didn't forget Ginny. We put on a few songs for her, the older we sister. We did. <laughs> She'll be happy. She's well represented. <laughs> All right, my friend. We'll see you next week. Good night, Brad.